Regichita could skin to la moritoni or in Anabgani lemas in Oron Balton Hanziman, Leelechaye. So Pheretala in Hamindi Awabi, when Allah Shakali Gushinti. And that's exactly what happened. Everything she prayed and asked for, God gave her. So who am I to take that away and say, no, because I want my grandma to stay here longer, she needs to, to be on life support. I need to do this. I will take care of her. So it just, it takes, it takes a lot of courage to finally say, no, I'm at peace with this. Hi, friends, and welcome to the Assyrian Podcast, episode number 41. My name is Steve, and it is so good to be here with you. One of the things I often encounter when I'm at a wedding is some of my older relatives will nudge me on the shoulder and they'll say, hey, your turn is coming soon too. And while I appreciate the sentiment, it's always got this kind of stigma associated with it. Well, one of the things I like to do is if I'm at a funeral and the procession is happening, I'll nudge them on the shoulder and I'll say, hey, your turn is coming soon too. Oh, I love that joke. I love that joke. Hey, it's so good to be here with you. And on today's episode, we're going to talk about death. In the Assyrian community, there's often a stigma associated with things like, when is it okay to pull the plug on a family member? And we all know it's going to happen at some point or another, and we should be prepared. We ought to have those conversations ahead of time. Well, today we're going to talk to Nardine Hermes. She often encounters people in life or death situations. She's a nurse who works in a trauma and cardiovascular intensive care unit. Now, you might think someone who deals with death and sees people in this condition might be sad and depressed, but Nardine actually took what was happening in the hospital and she converted it into a life-giving business that helps people live longer lives. And that's how I met Nardine, was at the National Assyrian Convention earlier this year where she was providing preventative health and services to attendees. No, she doesn't have a fountain of youth, but she does have products and services that help people live healthier and more vibrant lives. She's the owner of Uptown Medispa in Arizona, and I'm so thankful that we got to have her on the show. I think you are in for an amazing episode today as Nardine speaks with passion and clarity about topics others would rather stay away from. If this is the first episode you're listening to the Assyrian Podcast, welcome. I'm so excited to share this interview with you. Show us some love by hitting the subscribe button and review the Assyrian Podcast wherever you listen to it. And share these episodes with others. We're proud to be able to bring you these amazing stories of Assyrians who have worked hard and have opened up their own business or lived an amazing life in some other way. Spread the word about the voice of the Assyrian nation, the Assyrian Podcast. And also a special shout out to Tony Calgaracos and the injury lawyers of Illinois and New York. If you know anyone that has been in a serious accident, please reach out to Tony Calgaracos. Tony has been recognized as a top 40 lawyer and a rising star by Super Lawyers Publication and has obtained multiple multi-million dollar awards. Tony can be reached at injuryrights.com or 847-982-9516. And now, here is Nardine Hermes. I know you grew up in Chicago, mm-hmm. and then that's you went to Elmhurst School, and that's where you got your nursing degree and yes. all of that. Yes. Uh, give us a quick, what was that all like for you? Sure. 
So first I want to say thank you for having me. It's an honor to speak to you guys and kind of voice my life story, I guess, to everyone. And it's truly an honor. I'm very proud of you guys for what you're doing and just trying to get the Syrian community closer together and just to listen one to one another. So, um, but so my name is Nardine Hermes and I graduated from Elmhurst College with a bachelor's in nursing. Um, I went to school there for four years, and when I got out of nursing school, I moved straight to Arizona, and I got a job in... Elmhurst is in Chicago? Yeah. Okay. It's a suburb in Chicago. So for... I'm in California, so yeah. I'd never heard yeah. of it. Yeah, it is a suburb in Chicago. It's one of the strongest nursing schools. It was very demanding. Um, you would have, of course, most medical students and nursing students. When you have the four your, as your undergrad those classes for most people aren't as challenging but when you're in medicine and for nursing you don't have much of a life it's it's you're ha you're set for a higher standard because once you graduate you're in the field and you're you know messing with people's lives so they need to know that you're ready for your state boards to take those exams pass them and kind of hit the real world why did you go into nursing in the first place so i grew up in a family of nurses my grandfather was a nurse in iraq my aunt was a nurse um, in iraq too and then when she moved out here she um, studied restudied to get her license and she would come home and tell me a lot of stories of nursing um, when I was trying to decide which avenue I wanted to take, science, math came natural to me. And going to the doctors with my grandmother and family members, and I saw what they did, I noticed that in the nursing field, there's a lot more compassion. And you get to use your mind in a different way, um, and you interact with your patients a lot more. And it was between nursing school and becoming a physician. Um, and then I made the decision of going through nursing because I'm like, you know, when I get married, I want to be able to go to work, come home, and then work stays at work. I don't want to bring work home with me. As a physician, you're, you're there all the time. Your patients are around you all the time. You have to be responsible for them. You drop your life and you have to run to them. So I decided to go through the nursing route, and I don't regret it one bit because... You, there's so many avenues you can take in nursing. You can be a teacher, a nursing teacher. You can work in the community. You can work in a doctor's office. You can work in the hospital. And there's plenty of things to do. Yeah, and it sounds like you always had a family focus. Mm -hmm. So the nursing fit with that. And then tell us what took you to Phoenix. I met my husband when I was 18 years old when I first started nursing school and we did long distance. He lived in Arizona, I lived in Chicago, and it was perfect for me as a nursing student because I didn't have a distraction. Um, and it was perfect for, of course, any Assyrian family. You can't go out, you can't date, so long distance kind of was good. And, and we had a strong relationship and at that age, at 18, you were able to, I was able to grow as an independent woman and him as an independent man versus mesh together and kind of have this life of, oh no, I have to do everything with my boyfriend or my girlfriend and just at that early age, unite your life so early. So I think it was a blessing for both of us. And then once I graduated nursing school, he already had established his career out here in Arizona and it made more sense for me to come out here and start my nursing career. And how, long, how many years did you guys do long distance? We did long distance for five and almost six years. Almost six years. Yeah. And then once I got engaged, um, six months before the wedding, I moved out here and then um, 
he rented out a condo, but my sister-in-law lived with me, of course. Until we got married, he wasn't allowed to come and live with us. My sister-in-law lived with me for the full six months, and once we got married, she moved out and he moved in. It's very traditional. Wow, so he had his sister move in with you while you were out here. Yeah. That's excellent, and I'm sure you were happy because... I was happy, yeah. I had a roommate we are very close to, and it was able to grow our bond together, and his family is very loving, very accepting, and leaving my entire family, my parents, my sister, my aunts, my uncles, my cousins, and coming out here, it's a huge change. Starting a new career, um, living now with a man that I've known for five years, and now I have to figure out how do we make a relationship work in the same state, in the same time zone. So it's just a lot of change at once, but I was very fortunate and blessed. His family welcomed me with open arms, took me in as their own daughter, um, and I've been very lucky. How did you know he was the one? Um, I knew that he was the one just because of his the kind of heart he has. He's a very he has a very gentle heart, but it's also very protective. And I loved seeing that in a man and in a husband because, and I see the way my father, as a role model, the way he treated his my my mother and how he raised two daughters. And every time I would look for a man I wanted someone who role modeled that and he did that and especially because he had huge Assyrian values that he held he was born in Midland Texas lived in America all his life but he reads and writes Assyrian much better than I do I'm very untaniyah and of course a Christian and those were very important for me so that's so cool yeah that's so cool and then you move out here and now you start your nursing career and so you've mm-hmm. been out here for like five years mm-hmm. So during that five years, you've been doing the whole nursing thing, but you've also been doing something else. Yeah. Before we talk about that something else, sure. tell us about what's it like to be a nurse on a regular basis. Sure. So I, when I first moved out here, I got a job in medical surgical unit. So that's a step down unit from, you're not super sick, but you're sick enough to spend a night in the hospital. That allowed me, it was a five patient to one nurse ratio. It allowed me to build my fundamentals in my first blocks to become a strong nurse. So um, I had to figure out time management, how to juggle five patients, how to speak to them, how to take care of them, how to discharge them, education, how to advocate for them. Um, I did that for about a year and a half and it was night shift too and that was very, very brutal. Um, And then my goal was always to work in a trauma center. And that was the hospital's level one trauma. It's in downtown Phoenix. It's called Banner University Medical Center. Um, Once I felt strong enough that I've learned all I could on medical surgical unit, I transferred to the trauma ICU. So that is where I just was in love with trauma because I knew in nursing school, I love the adrenaline. I love that high. Um, There was actually a, a little story behind that. I knew trauma was my calling because There was a guy at church, he passed out and he had a heart attack, lost his pulse, so I was performing CPR on him. And that feeling of I'm doing something was just a huge rush and I got addicted to it at a very early part of my nursing career. And then when I found out the man um, made it, he had no neurological deficits, and then a month and a half later I see him walking around church and he was a shamasha and doing shamashuta. It was just like, you know what, I, I love this this rush. So that's why I'm like, nursing um, trauma is where I need to be. So what became a trauma nurse, um, we respond to all traumas that have to do, and here it's pretty brutal. You get the stab wounds, the gunshots, the really bad car accidents, and 
trauma is if if you don't get get to the right hospital at the right time nothing could be done for you so there's no you know let's wait it out and see what happens you need fast acting um, interventions Um, so it taught me how to think quick on my feet they also teach us how to you know when you're out in the world out of the hospital what to do if there's a trauma um, natural disaster so it's really prepared me to kind of fend for my own self my family my neighborhood so and most people run away from trauma we don't want to see someone with a stab wound and have to be responsible for helping them with that and you just thrive on that I do I'm I'm in love with it and it's a it makes me feel like this this really sad story just happened to someone it's their worst nightmare the worst day of their life probably and their family's worst day of their life and it makes me feel like I'm making a very big difference in even if it's something as small as handing them a tissue giving the family a hug or helping them decide do do they want to be a donor family because their 18 year old son now is brain dead from a tragic car accident or even when we had a really bad gunshot and then three months later the, the guys coming back visiting us and giving us all hugs and saying you this is why you saved my life so it's just you know you're making a difference and you I wake up every morning and I'm like this is I know this is my calling and when it comes to trauma how much percentage of the population would you say have experienced some kind of trauma Oof, I I would say at least 90 a lot of people see trauma and even if you don't physically experience it because you hear the story it makes you more alert and because I see it I'm always in the back of my head thinking okay my husband's leaving for work this could be the last time I see him so I'm gonna make sure everything is okay and he knows how I feel about him and make sure everything will be fine so and it gives me a different viewpoint in in life and I think a lot of people take that for granted so on the outside, if someone were to meet you, mm-hmm. they meet this young woman who's smiling, who's friendly, mm-hmm. who's caring, but yet what you're telling me is you also see like this, um, there, there's this hectic side behind yeah. going on, there's beneath the surface. Absolutely, and that taking care of trauma patients has traumatized me in, in a different way. And it takes a lot for me to be able to leave that mindset, that all that at work and come home and be able to take care of my family and and be a daughter, be a wife, be a sister. Um, But it helps me look at life and value life. So, and I think that's something that I can instill in our kids and and my husband knows it too. Every time he walks out of the house, he knows, you know, she she tells me stories of what goes on and it comes out of the blue. It comes out of left field. You don't know, hey, I'm in a go home and I'm going to get in a car accident that paralyzes me for the rest of my life. So, or I'm at the wrong place at the wrong time. It's all to fate. Yeah. I feel like you deal with the things that nobody else wants to even think about or talk about or wrestle with. So, and it's, it is hard, but I've also come to a point where I've forced my family to speak about it. Like if you were put in this position and you can't make medical decisions for yourself, I want us to talk about it. Tell me what you want. Yeah. 
And of course, in the beginning, my mother, my father, my sister, every my husband especially, all very hesitant to talk about it. But the more I expose them to what's going on and what people are going through every single day, they've all expressed what they would want and they know what I would want and it prepares us for when it does happen. So, so you're saying that Assyrian people especially, because mm -hmm. in our culture we tend not to you want to talk. You don't want to talk about death. You don't want to talk about something depressing because it's like, and even when it comes down to being put on a ventilator on life support and having to make that decision, do I need to take this person off of life support? What do I do? And, and a lot of Assyrians and Christians actually feel that if I take them off life support, I'm killing them. And it, it's, it, that's the sad part about not knowing that this, this God put this patient in a tragic accident and they're put, being put on life support, not because this will make them get better. If their mind isn't working and their quality of life will not be successful and they won't be who they used to be why torture them anymore it comes down to torturing them what do you mean when you say these are very strong opinions on pretty uh, Ethical, controversial yeah. yeah yeah but you're you're going for it yeah well what do you mean when you say god put them in this tragedy or god put them in this trauma so for example my grandmother actually we all went through this my grandmother was very is very very independent walked around and she lived with my mother my uh, sister my father and my aunt everyone lived in the same house they all moved to Arizona so I would go see them on a regular basis when I wasn't at work I was by them of course um, independent woman walked back and forth cooked her own food washed her own laundry stubborn strong strong woman um, one day I get that phone call hey Nana's not waking up so Okay, call EMS. I'll meet you guys at the hospital. And we go. And the minute I saw her, I knew she had a hard time breathing. She had a huge, massive stroke. And the fact that that stroke hit that part of the brain, that exact vessel, told me that God's saying, "Okay, this is it's her time." Because it, why didn't it go on the right side? It went on the left side, and it makes all a big difference. So her quality of life was nothing. She couldn't even pay, keep her airway pain. So my father-in-law and I had to make a decision. Do we just kind of say, okay, let's let God take her, or do we want to put her on life support um, and see what happens? We decided to put her on life support, but with the intention that all her kids can come and see her and her grandkids can come and see her. And that will also give us about 24 to 48 hours to make a decision. What do we want to do? Put her on the ventilator. Everybody flew in. Her son's also a physician. Um, did a bunch of tests, gave her 24, 48 hours, realized that the swelling's just getting worse, and she's just trying to actively die. So they asked us, what do you want to do? Half the family was like, no, you're going to kill her. You can't take her off life support. Um, but when we had that talk, okay, you're going to put a trach in her. She's completely in a coma. She's made it very clear to all of us. She's always said, and that's exactly what happened. Everything she prayed and asked for, God gave her. So who am I to take that away and say, no, because I want my grandma to stay here longer, she needs to, to be on life support, I need to do this, I will take care of her. So it just, it takes, it takes a lot of courage to finally say, no, I'm at peace with this. And I think it's time to say, okay, Nan, we're going to let you go. So having had the conversation beforehand, you mm -hmm. all felt okay doing yes. that. Yeah. My father felt okay. 
um, I felt okay. And I think the fact that we all knew what she wanted and what she told us, we were like, she wouldn't want to live in this way. So I had to make a hard decision, but we were prepared for it. Yeah. So it wasn't that you were saying, though, that God likes to do these things no. or God did it no, because, no, yeah. No. Okay. It, it comes down to having to balance what's fate, what's God's plan, and what is your plan. And I think we have, we have free will, right? So I can choose to say, I know God, you kind of want to take my ground, but I'm going to extend this longer. So I have some power and life support gives power to people. So it's, it all has to be, you know what? I have to find the happy medium in this. There's a gray area. It's never black and white, never is. And if it was, like life would be so much easier. Just take me now. Why give me, still give me breath? Why is my heart still beating? It's just if I was supposed to die that minute overnight, why didn't it just happen? I hear you loud and clear, and I think that um, there aren't answers, and there's just results. Yeah. It, it isn't a right or wrong. Correct. It is what it is, and you have to make a decision. Correct. So you deal with people regularly mm -hmm. who are at that point. Now, there's this whole other side to you, though, that is a lot less... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> lot intense. less uh, intense yeah very calm very preventative yes. very much thinking about so i want to hear about your business that you launched okay. when did you launch it what is it everything so like i said trauma became very traumatizing and stressful i've been in the icu for about four and a half years now i would say um and it just was taking a toll i would come home and think about Okay, if I had children, babies at home, can I be caring to them? Because I've given everything. It's We do 13-hour shifts three days a week. Um, so I've just given everything I can right now at the hospital, and I come home late at night. What can I give to my family? So I was thinking, okay, I need to find a way to just slowly transition myself. And I don't think I can 100% walk away from the hospital yet because I still love it so much. Um, so I was like, okay, I need to do something on the side, allowing me to make enough income where I can go part-time at the hospital and still do what I love. Um, so I was just looking into a lot of things, shadowed a bunch of people, thought about going back to CRNA school, which is a nurse anesthesiologist. Um, and the best thing that kind of fit was launching my own business. In Arizona, an RN can be a medical aesthetic professional. And that's the business that I launched. It's called Uptown Med Spa. I have a medical director who's an anesthesiologist. He works, um, he's my partner actually. Um, and then we went forward and launched this business where we focus on beauty enhancement um, and IV hydration, uh, B12 injections, and kind of focus on people for preventative and allowing them to feel good from the outside. What's a B12 injection? So B12 injection is a vitamin. Um, that's actually one of the things we're offering here at the convention. Um, it's a really quick little poke in the, it goes in, the, it's a needle, it goes in one of the big muscles, usually in the hip. Um, it's a water-soluble uh, vitamin. You, you have it, everything you eat has B12, but we don't get enough of it. A lot of people are deficient. So when you feel really groggy all the time, um, or you're struggling with weight loss, B12 focuses on the fat cells in your body and it goes in there and burns them a lot faster so then you when you burn that fat cells turns into energy so now you have a lot of energy and you also are losing weight 
Um, it helps with mental clarity. So a lot of people that are ADHD actually get B12 injections on, on a medical um, through insurance very regularly. Um, it helps with sleep and insomnia. You are able to get into your REM sleep a lot deeper with B12 injections. Um, what else does it do? It's a water-soluble water vitamin as well. So if you feel like, oh, what if I get too much of it? I don't want to overdose. So the fact that it's water-soluble, your body just naturally excretes it if it has too much in it. So. And why did you start this business? So I started this business because I was ready to kind of take a step back from the hospital a little bit, go part-time or work once a week, maybe even once every two weeks to get the high that I want, but at the same time feel that I've built something for my future, for my kids, for myself, and for even my children to look up to me and say, wow, look at our mother. She's an entrepreneur. She's going out there. She's, she's starting her own thing. But I have to say, I couldn't. there's no way I could have done this without the support of my husband, of my family. When I went up, when I kind of brought the idea, and especially with Assyrians, a lot of Assyrians are like, you're taking a risk starting your own business. But I'm fortunate enough to still be able to work part full-time, make my income through the hospital, and then try to support this little business that I have on the side. So they helped me set up my my um, the so office space that I have. My dad would always come in, help me with the cabinets. And Your dad would fly in from Chicago? Oh, no, they moved here. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. You brought they, the whole family here. Then. Uh, somehow, I don't know. I never called them and be like, Mom, Dad, something with Ali. Yeah. Um, but they just all came out here. They were tired of the snow, I think, and the taxes of Chicago, the property taxes. So they're like, let's come, let's come out here. So that's awesome, though, that your dad is able to kind of be there and help you as you yeah. build your business. Yeah. Uh, what's it like to be a business owner? Honestly, I a lot of people are, around me are very, very proud, and it seems like I've inspired a lot of people. But to myself, I'm kind of like, you know, it's just something that I felt like I wanted to do when I went for it and did it. I don't view myself or feel that I'm like this big shot or this like person who's influencing other people I'm just like you know I did it because I felt a passion for it and I just took the dive um, but then when I take a step back and look at it and I'm like you know what I should be proud I should be proud because I'm able to make my family proud and that makes me proud so now when it comes to people's health um, mm -hmm. it's obviously one of those things where people don't pay attention until mm -hmm. something goes wrong mm -hmm. I mean, for you to come to the Assyrian Convention and for you to start this business where you basically want people to be thinking about their own health, Correct. tell us more about sort of where that passion comes from beyond wanting to not be in the intensity yeah. of trauma. Tell us more about what, what does, where do you get that energy to help people be healthier? I think it comes down to, I love to have, I love answering people's questions and helping educate them because when you become that sick and you need hospital attention, you need someone next to you, a family member who knows medicine, to kind of stand up for you and, and agree with the doctors or fight back with the doctors. Do, do we really need to do that? I, absolutely. I, because, you know, everybody can make mistakes. Things happen in the hospital, and if you don't have that person overlooking the scenario, things can definitely get missed. So I feel like the more you go out there, educate yourself, and I'm happy to educate and answer any questions. Like, 
I'm out there on the booth and I'm getting questions from every angle like hey I have a rash or I'm not feeling so good today or my dad is this and and you know what if I'm I'm more than happy to be that person for people and help them I guess advocate for them the way that people need and and makes me happy to do that for my Assyrian community and I have like our neighbor who's Assyrian and they went to the hospital and I'm like please call me with any questions you have because if I'm you don't worry about liability issues and like oh no she told us this or that not so much because I'm not the one making the intervention I'm just giving my opinion and my suggestion sure so but they need that they need that person to kind of fight for them I know stories where um, one person went in the hospital, and, and he had no advocates. Mm-hmm. He was on his own. The better, mm-hmm. best advocate he had mm-hmm. was a friend from church. Yeah. And she tried to step up for him, but at the end of the day, he didn't yeah. last very long. Whereas other people could literally add years upon years upon years mm-hmm. just because they had that other person there to Correct. help them. Help them through it, yeah. It's, it's sad, isn't it? it is. The way society it is, is in that sad. area. And, I mean, it, and it comes down to, especially in, in our Assyrian community, how do I go against his opinion but it's like you know what they welcome that challenge because then it gets their mind turning you know your mother better you know your brother better so why not share what you know about their health history with the physician because healthcare now has come to it's a teamwork involve family involve the patient there's no reason for the medical um people medical professionals to make all the decisions based on a patient they don't know so and how has this business been like how many years has it been open now actually i've started it four months it's four oh, months it's a old new business. it's a new business it's a little baby and i'm getting a lot of clients and i've noticed a lot of support from the Syrian community they're very curious about what what i'm doing what's going on and they're very supportive so i'm very blessed about that um, but it is in Arrowhead, Glendale area, so it's a it's an area where people can afford to kind of not focus so much on, you know, critical chronic illness, and they can take a step back and say, hey, I have enough kind of money to come and speak to this person about medical aesthetics. So. Is it affordable for people? Like what? Uh... It's it it can some there's I mean it ranges. So if people can't spend too much money on something we have other options that you can do so anyone can walk in and get some yeah from male female so i have a little bit of both clients it's actually 50 50 men are also interested in medical aesthetics hey we need to be healthy too and we need to look good too yeah absolutely so yeah with that being said like actually for guys out there what would be some things that guys could do to like improve their appearance oh it goes as simple as just washing your face and moisturizing um, a lot of people take advantage of that. Using sunscreen is a big thing too, um, and hydration is my biggest thing I push on people. People forget to drink water. People forget to eat healthy. Um, whatever you eat, I say you are what you eat. So whatever you're putting inside your body, and your body is very, very forgiving. That's why it takes years of old age until you actually start getting sick. So you need to start taking care of your body at a young age and and you'll see the results older. It's not, everyone says, oh, but I'm going to die. But it's not when you die, it's how you die. Are you going to be on that deathbed super sick for years and and being suffering? Or are you going to die just because of old age and being healthy? So I have a really selfish question to ask. Yes, go ahead. Black tea. 
I love drinking black tea, mm-hmm. and I drink lots of it. Okay. Is that healthy, unhealthy? I mean, there's different studies. Some people say black tea can help with your immune system. It's actually good for cancer. There's a lot. Just like sometimes, like, you know, drink some wine here and there. But everything in moderation, right? You can't overdo certain things so i would say if you're trying to taper yourself off of it i don't know if you like mixing it with some milk a little bit not even no i just love black tea like straight up i i mean it's okay and if you've been doing it for a certain amount of time and your body feels like i like it yeah go for it but make the adjustment because caffeine can get you dehydrated so Mm. if you drink this much tea drink just as much water with it Got it. Good Good to know. Yeah. Now, when it comes to Assyrians and health, what would you say is one of the most like overlooked areas by Assyrians that if, if Assyrians just had more awareness uh, in this one area, it would dramatically improve their health? I think the biggest, biggest thing is nutrition. Our ancestors, all of them, are, and it comes down to genetics, grew up where we farmed we walked miles and miles everything was labor our bodies are used to that kind of a drive and we come to america and or any other country and we adhere to their cultures the fast food um, the laziness the no exercise and our bodies and our genetics don't know how to adapt to that and we get so sick from it very quickly so i would say just you need to know what you're eating you need to actually exercise and take time for yourself doesn't have to be you know jogging running even if it's just i'm gonna take some time away from everyday stressors go outside meditate a little bit um take a walk here and there just let your mind rest your mind that's my biggest thing that's amazing i you know most assyrians we don't know we're just running around and we've been blessed like i know most everyone in my family and most assyrians i know we have very good immune systems yeah. and good metabolism. It's that dominant, dominant gene. We're we're fighters. We want to survive. All these years, we've people have tried to you know get us to be extinct, but we we have a fighting genetic kind of a makeup. So I like that. Mm-hmm. Well, we need to nurture it though. Absolutely. If we just keep abusing it and Absolutely. not caring for it, then that will reverse. Yeah. Our kids will be weaker Absolutely. and all that stuff. Absolutely, 100%. And yeah. I think a lot of men too think, okay, what's well, going to the aspect of fertility in our future generations, people think, oh, it's the woman who's having the child. But no, you're providing 50% of that DNA. So you need to be healthy and you need to provide a strong set of genes so your child can also be strong. It works both ways. <laughs> That's my little jam. <laughs> I like that. I like that. That's good. Way to call out all the dudes to, <laughs> to step up their health game. Now, I want to, it's been a pleasure for me to be able to kind of get to know you, get Thank to learn you. more about Same your business. You, Steve. Yeah. And one of the things I love to ask people on the Assyrian podcast mm-hmm. is if you could say one thing to Assyrians all around the world who listen to the Assyrian podcast, what would you say to them? One thing, um, one thing would just be be kind. That's my, I see a lot of, a lot of people who get hurt and emotions take a big toll on your health. So just be kind, go out there and love and do good. One good deed goes a long way. So yeah, you're actually very kind and I'm not surprised by all the people that have been lining up to get these (laughs) injections and IV uh, support. So thank you again for being on the Assyrian podcast and everyone make sure if you're in Phoenix, go visit Nardine 
Um, we didn't get a chance to talk about your name. Oh, my name, yes. Um, a quick little just, I yeah. guess, because you're asking me, you're like, isn't that a male's name? So, right. And we had a little, it can be worked both ways, man and female, but I, I'm, from what I've understood and read, the male version is, is pronounced Nardin, and the female is Nardine, and it is a, a flower, and back home, from what I understand, it's very, very old, and it's, it's also a biblical name because it's the same, the flower was turned into a perfume and it's very expensive and that's the same perfume. Nard. Yes, right? Nard. That's oh, where it comes from, the okay. name Nard. It's the same perfume that was used to wipe the feet of Jesus when Mary Magdalene went to oh. kind of meet him. Yeah. What a cool fact. Like, yeah. never would have put yeah. that together. It is a very um, famous and biblical yeah. flower. So. Yeah, I've seen Nard throughout the scriptures. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking thank the time you, to be I on the Assyrian podcast. An and um, we'll, we'll come out and visit with you again in a few years and see how the business is doing and how God you're doing. God willing. I hope so. That'll be nice. All right. Thanks so thank much. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Assyrian podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and review us in the iTunes store. Spread the word about the Assyrian podcast. It has been so much fun to grow this podcast alongside you, our listeners from all around the world. Thank you for making the Assyrian podcast what it is. Email us at info at with any questions or comments.